one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. We've now changed the question really from how restrictive do we need to be to for how long do we need to be restrictive? That's important. We've also taken the upside bias off. This is the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So can you speak central bank? It is a peculiar language, isn't it? An unusual form of dialect spoken by very few wealthy people and only in central banks around the world. Uh, That was one of them. The Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey saying that they won't be cutting rates just yet, but they probably won't lift them either. But while we wait... What happens to the economy? Are they getting to the root cause of the problem anyway? Or could they just be making things worse? That's this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So this week, have central banks gone too far? Just about everywhere, inflation is coming down. But the views of central banks over the last week or so is that they want more evidence before they are convinced that they can start lowering interest rates. Now, whatever you think about the effectiveness of monetary policy and how, you know, we know it hurts those who can least afford it and doesn't really impact the very people who are probably responsible for much of the inflation, uh, isn't this time different anyway? I mean, we came out of a pandemic with more cash than we went into it with uh, in many cases. And, and there was a shortage of things we could buy because supply chains were devastated. And we've talked in the past about how companies were very optim- uh, opportunist on that and they started increasing their margins. So let's start on that, Steve, maybe. How different is this to previous periods of inflation, which is... I mean, they've tended to be caused by rising wages, completely different phenomenon, isn't it? And rising raw material costs, uh, not from the scarcity that we've seen this time. And also, obviously, that, that, that surplus cash that we've seen this time. It's a completely different set, of, a different equation, really, isn't it, that we're, we're dealing well, with? Well, funny thing is, it's the, it's the first time the equation has ever fitted the, the minds of neoclassical economists, because they believe all, what, all the variations <laughs> come out of exogenous shocks. They don't have any really understanding of endogenous changes in an economy. Um, and with, with, but if you look back at the last major period of inflation, which was the 1970s, that was uh, re- really came at the, at the end. And, and again, this is something which most people are not aware of, came at the end of a huge private debt bubble bursting. Uh, so right. right, right. Because we all thought it was just oil, just the price of oil. It was it. Price, the price of oil turned up there as well because what you had was an enormous um, private debt bubble, global, uh, which led to, on top of the fact that governments were stimulating the economy as well, and the, rather the, the sort of classic Keynesian, uh, or you know, not classic, what what my my circle of friends call bastard Keynesian, but the government wasn't panicked about running a deficit. So you had deficit spending for the second for the for the Vietnam War from America, which was adding to price pressure around the world uh, and, and and domestic demand as well. And then you had the uh, a, a construction boom, the usual sort of story. It was a housing, but more commercial um, real estate globally than it was 
uh, private houses. And that burst at the end of 74. Now, before it got there, you had an economy going gangbusters. You had unemployment in, in, in my home country, Australia, was well below 2%. Uh, and it was a real measure of unemployment. It was how many people actually were lined up for the dole. It wasn't a, the statistical nonsense that they've got into in the last 40 or 50 years. America had a very low level of unemployment as well. I think lower than it's got now. Uh, and so you had, and you had unions which could bargain for high wages. So in the context of all that, you had pressure from the union side. You also had the oil, uh, OPEC, finally asserting itself against what were called, were called the Four Sisters, the oil companies that controlled the price for decades, meaning that the increase in the price of oil over time didn't get transferred back to the people producing the oil. Then you had the Yom Kippur War, 1973. Dare I mention Israel? Um, you know, and so all that came together at once. And then the OPEC, when, when, the, uh, when the war uh, went against the Arab side, uh, the decision of the OPEC, you know, Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, which was almost exclusively uh, Arabic at that time, and Norway and, uh, and, uh, and the UK joined later, but they were, they were the main exporters. They put the price of, of, of oil up or the restricted supply of it, and the price went from $2.50 a barrel to 10 Right. So, so that, that was, was but that came later. You're saying so before that. I mean, before that, how I mean, it, it sounds a, like it's a credit boom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but isn't that sort of like what monetarists would say? Well, that's why we push interest rates up because people the the economy is running too hot. The uh, uh, employment uh, market is too tight. If we don't act, then this is just going to get worse. We're going to see wage inflation. We're going to see resource inflation. Prices will go up. That's why we're here. That's why we push interest rates up to cool things down. And that was that was their logic. And when you look look at it, the, the and the, I see this actually in the the ECB has actually got a, a its cover at the moment is is actually quite hilarious on that front today. I'll have to, hilarious in a way that makes me bloody angry, but that's. That's another story. I'll see if I can find it here. There's a very stern-looking character, President Louis de Guindos, uh, Vice President Guindos, Louis, Louis yeah. de Guindos, mm. and he's got a very grim look in his face and said, the need to reach our inflation target, we need to bring inflation down to our 2% target. If inflation is significantly above that target, people may start expecting rising inflation and so demand higher wages. So the whole orientation they've got is to explaining inflation on the basis of wage demands. Now, well, this is all. All of them are based on are, are saying the same thing. Yeah, They're all yeah. saying we're worried about uh, wage inflation coming back again, and it's all to do with managing expectations. Absolutely, but I mean, going back to to the seventies, though, ignoring the oil story for now, weren't they right? Didn't they need to do something? If it, if it, if they just done nothing, wouldn't we have seen inflation rise because the economy was running too hot? Are they wrong on that point? Well, they're wrong on the fact that I think it's about inflationary expectations, and this is the garbage that uh, that Milton Friedman injected into the minds of susceptible people, otherwise known as neoclassical economists, and they believe that inflation is caused by the expectation of price rises. And so if you can adjust people's expectations, you can cause a fall in the rate of inflation with very little damage to the real economy. That was the, uh, somebody told me I was pronouncing his name wrong. It's Volkler. Mm. Is that correct? Mm, yeah. Okay, Volkler <laughs> pretty much swallowed that argument uh, that, you know, the government creates the money supply and he had people in his own research stuff telling him that wasn't true. Alan Holmes at the time, the director of research saying this is not correct. You, uh, It's not just the... The government doesn't control the money to buy the private banks to. Uh, Volker ignored his research. Volker, by the way. Sorry? Still getting it wrong. Volker. 
Volcker. Okay, thank you. Volcker. Yeah. Volcker swallowed that line and put interest rates up, and the belief that would uh, that would reduce uh, people's expectations of future inflation. In fact, what it caused was the, the biggest recession at the time since the Great One, since the Great Depression. Yeah. So, but is it? I mean, are they right on the idea that you've got to manage expectations, but they're just using a blunt instrument? So, no, because no, I mean, because yeah. I mean, people can talk things up and talk things down, can't they? I mean, if everyone thought the economy was going to was in a bad way, they'd stop spending, and the economy would be in a bad way. I mean, it, there's an element, a shred of truth behind that, isn't there? There's a shred of truth, but it, it, it it's fundamentally presuming that uh, everybody is forward-looking and has an economic model in their head when they make their decisions. We tend, we, we're much more reactive to that and we, we much more follow herd mentality than we do uh, the, the sort of stuff that neoclassicals do. I mean, you know, my, my uh, mate in the Bank of England, he doesn't talk to me anymore because I take COVID seriously and he doesn't. But uh, Michael Kumoff, when he looked at my model, said, I'd like to modify your models to have forward-looking expectations. Now, that's what's in the mindset of neoclassical economists. The people have forward-looking expectations and, and they therefore, if you can adjust those forward-looking expectations down, you will cause the rate of inflation to fall. That's what they believe in people who actually swallow you know, neoclassical economics believe and they're the but, ones who control the- central banks. Right, and yet there's there's a theory out there, though, there isn't that Japan hasn't seen inflation. It's because the Japanese people, being the way they are, it's just not part of their psyche to ask for wage increases. So they they had inflation, but the central bank didn't react, Mm. and they had had inflation. But it's very mild. But very mild compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, we've got to have to take a look. Let's just do a comparative on Japan versus the rest of the world at a later stage. But their central bank did nothing, and inflation rose and fell. The uh, American, uh, you know, the Americans, Americans and Europeans did hell of a lot, and inflation rose and fell. And I think it's primarily, it's, it's, you know, it's cause and effect uh, are waving to each other in, in uh, cars going in opposite directions uh, in this particular event. So they're, they're going to take credit for what would have happened anyway. Right. So how much of what's happened this time then is the surplus of cash that we've, that we've all had? Because they are, I mean, th- there's some charts which are quite staggering, aren't they? So if you look at the M1 money supply for the UK, for example, looking at the FRED database, January 2020, 1.8 trillion was the amount of money that was around. It peaked in September 2020. It rose very quickly and then it started still rising, but not quite as much. But it peaked in September 2022 at 2.6 trillion. So it rose by almost half. Uh, And if you look at the M1 money supply in the United States, and I know there's other measures, but this is sort of like, you know, the cash you've got, which seems like a pretty good measure. Uh, but the M1 money supply, oh, and components, isn't it? So, okay, so, I mean, there's different measures. But anyway, just the, the direct comparison, it's gone from $4 trillion US dollars in January 2020 to $20.6 trillion in March 2022, five times more. So it looks as though there was a lot more money swilling around in the United States than there was in the UK, even though, you know, you, you you would have thought that in the UK we had more in the way of furloughs. We were looking after people more in the US and people had to fend for themselves a bit more over there. But looking at this, government spending seems to have increased that much more in the United States, and that's found its way into bank accounts. So that's got to be a big part of it this time around, hasn't it? Too much money swilling around, not enough to buy. It is, and the interesting thing is that what that has, uh, what that has boosted is not so much wages as corporate profit margins. 
And this is the point that Isabella Weber made and was originally demonised for and now is being lionised for. And she's quite right that if when you decompose the inflation into the three major components, you can see it as coming from, because you know, we had this conversation before we started recording. Uh, the money supply doesn't put up prices, people put up prices, you know. Pardon me taking a line from the National Rifle Association, but uh, to actually have prices rise, somebody has to make a decision that affects the price level, or you have to have something which causes price to rise simply because cost of production go up. So Koleski, uh, Mikhail Koleski, the great Polish economist that uh, people in the know regard as having you know, invented Keynes before Keynes, but done it with engineering mathematics rather than English words, uh, he argued you could break inflation down into the markup that, that firms put on their in input costs, fund fundamentally wages, change in money wages, and the change in output per worker. Whether it can't change an output per worker, if it rises, that reduces the rate of inflation. So if you do that decomposition on the American data, you find that the initial uh, increase in, uh, in inflation came from, uh, during, starting from 2020, uh, there was an increase in wages and a fall in markups. So the initial change, you can say, yes, workers' wage demands exceeded the rate of inflation and drove inflation up. Markups started going in the opposite direction. At the same time, you had an enormous increase in the deficit. It went from 5% uh, of GDP in 2019 uh, to 15% of GDP in 2020. That's a huge government stimulus for the economy. And then what happened after that point is that a wage demands, wage rises fell below the rate of inflation. So wages were subtracting from inflation. Because people were worried about losing their jobs, well but markups went up. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But I mean, there's a, I mean, yeah, I would, um, yeah, so you wouldn't be asking for a wage rise in the middle of a pandemic, would you? Because you're just keeping your head down and hoping you can keep your job. Uh, the it's it's the other side of it where maybe it becomes more of an issue, but on the markups, I mean that does uh, it does fall into the land of bleeding obvious, doesn't it? Uh, and we, we've seen examples of it in the past. So if you've got more money, but there's a limited amount of time and materials and products to buy, uh, then the people who are selling you that stuff will go, oh, you've got a bit more money here. We can't get as many supplies from China. Of course, we're going to push our prices up and try and take, take as much margin. And when you look at it, and it does get down to the resources that are available. So another example would be, do you remember when uh, the, the pink bat scheme in, the, in, in Australia? I mean, there's lots of examples where the government says, well, OK, we're going to help you. We're going to pay for you to insulate your house. There's only so many people available to insulate houses. So those people who insulate houses, what do they do? Push their prices up because they there's an increased demand, limited supply, and the government is pushing money in their direction. So, of course, they push the prices so up. So what you see is mark, the, the, the predominant cause by far causing inflation right now is markups, increase in markups. And that, that obviously give you the date when the, when the turnover occurred, was sort of halfway, the early, sort of, say, April 2021, the rate of change of markups exceeded the rate of inflation. At the same time, for wages had fallen down to, to zero and were actually negative. Compared, like in terms of the money change of money wages was negative. This is talking in America. Uh, so between uh, 2020, 2022, pretty much to 20 halfway to 2023, wages were actually falling. 
So what you've got, and this is where we come back to the central bank, here's the, the, the ECB saying we've got to reduce, uh, we've got to worry people may expecting rising inflation and so demand higher wages. I'm sorry, mate. Got nothing to do with that. Manufacturers demanding high, yeah. achieving higher markups because workers can't just mark up their wages, but firms can mark up their prices. Right. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Look, and a good time, a good place to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to look at this in relation to MMT. This, is this an example of modern monetary theory that we've seen in practice? And uh, it seems to be you're saying, well, monetary policy has got nothing at all to do with this. So, you know, the first question I'll ask after the break is, um, <laughs> if, if, we'd, if we'd done nothing at all, uh, would we be in the same place? Um, so we'll come back to that in just a second. Not quite what I said, but still. Yeah, okay, but, yeah, yeah. but no, it's a different question. But I mean, we'll, it's where okay. we'll pick up. It's the uh, Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. Stay with us in just a second. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Okay, so we know then, Steve, that it is all, you know, inflation is largely being driven by companies pushing their prices up because they can, and it stands to reason. It's one of those things, isn't it, where if you were to look back and say what's going to happen, uh, I mean, did you see it? Did you think, well, this is the way it's going to play out? Or, I mean, a lot of people seem to have been rather surprised by what has happened since the pandemic because we have had a lot of variables thrown at us that we just haven't seen before. I'm mainly focusing on climate change. As you know, these days, we- are, if it wasn't for that, I'd be obsessing about this. But yeah, what I, I, I'm not, not at all amazed to see an increase in, in markups coming out of it because, as you said, you, the, the, it's, it's, the, the, the Milton Friedman argument was changing the money supply causes change in prices. The modern monetary theory approach, the realism about how prices are set is that markups and, and wage changes and changes in productivity. They're what determine what happened to prices, those three factors. Now, if you throw a huge government stimulus and the scale of government spending, as I mentioned, the deficit went from about under 5% of GDP in 2019 to about 15% in early 20, in 2020. That's a huge increase. And this is a modern monetary theory injection of money into people's bank accounts, that huge scale of the Brexit. So that, that, that gave you much more money money demand. Now, what it meant from, from the point of view of manufacturers, as you're saying, they suddenly saw effectively there was less competition, not in the sense that competitors had disappeared, but people had so much money to spend in the industries which they could spend it, that there was that they didn't feel the same, firms didn't feel the same competitive pressures to restrain their markups. So they put their markups up. And so 
this this is classically it's the, the monetary stimulus caused by the governments giving us cash during the pandemic, without which the financial system would have collapsed. Um, people you know, not paying their mortgages, not paying their rents, et cetera, et cetera, would have been a catastrophe not to boost that money. But by boosting it and by actually saving the day, one of the side effects was you reduced the perceived level of competition and firms took advantage of it to put their markets right. up. So would a better way forward then? I mean, monetary policy just doesn't apply in this instance. I mean, would we, we, was it a waste of time just lifting interest rates at all? Would we have been better saying, okay, we need to impose restrictions on uh, on price levels? And that's what Isabella Webb has been arguing. We need price controls. We'd mark up controls. Right. And, and that was something... So we did that. No no raising of interest rates needed at all. Central banks could have just stayed out of it. Nothing to do with them. If we had the mechanisms to do that, which, of course, we don't do because economists have always argued against any direct intervention like that. But that was what the, uh, if you remember the, the Hawke and Keating government in Australia, uh, the idea they put forward, and I had a small role in designing that back in my post-student days, uh, the idea was a price and an incomes accord uh, to control inflation by negotiation uh, with, with manufacturers not to increase their markups. And the work that's been done these days by Isabella Weber and Blair Fix identifies you know which sectors had price markups and so on you can see where i don't have the data with me but they've done the analysis of that it was uh, you know uh, firms taking advantage of the extra money in the economy to put up their prices when they already firms have already taken far more of the increase in income over the last 40 years than workers have so what is crazy about this is seeing much bunch like the ECB coming back and always thinking it's workers wage demands that need to be worried about as it causes inflation they completely ignore the effect of markups well workers wage demands never actually exceeded inflation either did they that's the that's the thing so people they were ahead of it for a short while I mean if you this again looking at only catching only catching up on having been behind before for, you know, for so long before, yeah. yeah like if you, if you, if I've done this is actually in my new book, which I've still got to send you a copy of the manuscript of. Uh, but if you go back and, and look over over time and find uh, the the initial inflation from uh, if you look at if you look at inflation versus change in the markup versus change in wages, then between two thousand and eighteen and the January 2018 and October 2020, the increase in markups was above the rate of inflation all the way through. When the pandemic hit, which is the first quarter of 2021, you had a fall in markups, and therefore for two for, for six months, the rate of growth of markups was below the rate of inflation. And then for all uh, for ever since then, markups increase has been greater than the rate of inflation. So mm-hmm. you only can identify a period between uh, the 2000, July 2019, this is quarterly data, so it's this is the start of the third quarter. Uh, from the, between then and the first quarter of 2021, so one, two, three, four, seven quarters, for those seven quarters, wage rises were above the rate of inflation. But since then, they're talking since um, April of 2021, since then, Range wage changes have been below the rate of inflation, and for one, two, three, four, five, six of those roughly ten quarters, it's been negative. 
So the whole idea that you need to put up interest rates to restrain wage demands, when wage demands are currently running at uh, well below the rate of inflation and, in fact, have been negative, there's something wrong with the thinking, guys. Well, if, I mean, if, if, if the concern is they don't want to be too interventionist, which is why they haven't imposed price controls, because that's distorting the market, well, actually, you would have thought... Well, they're screwing the workers instead, which is not interventionist <laughs> at all. No, and, and actually, you know, putting a, a, a heap of extra cash into the economy would you would say is quite interventionist as well. So, and if you well, without, without intervention, there would have been no economy. This, this yeah, is well, the, for this exactly, has, here, exactly. Yeah. it has to happen. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it is intervention, isn't it? And if you so if you if you're in that situation where you're going, well, this is an emergency, and you're worried about wages, and you're worried about markups, but less so. But you're going to introduce price controls. Well, you could at the same time also say, and we're going to introduce wage controls as well. You know, and the, and therefore. Absolutely no reason whatsoever to push up interest rates. Let's keep your mortgage at an affordable level uh, and we can spend less government cash trying to subsidise you because you need less because, you know, half your income is probably going on paying a rising mortgage. Yeah, but that's that's actually what's happening now, as you and I have both identified in the data, because they've been putting up interest rates in both in UK, in America, UK and Europe. And... America has been continued to run a substantial deficit, running at about 6% of GDP at the moment still, whereas Europe and the UK have gone for, back for austerity, so they're reducing the deficits. Now, that though the that has been, as you're seeing in the UK and, and European data, it seems this part of the world's going into recession, whereas America is still bouncing along gangbusters. The reason largely is the difference in government spending. But the intriguing similarity in both countries is it looks like private credit is plunging now. And that's the, that's what the interest rates have done. So if we do have a recession in Europe and the, and the, and the UK, you can blame it on central banks overreacting and actually you know, reacting to something which was targeting the wrong cause in the first place. Which is, yeah, so they were banking on destruction, actually, which is what I've decided I'm going to call this week's episode, because it's, uh, it, it, it's not just private credit which is collapsing. In particular, it's corporates, isn't it? Not taking out loans or not issuing bonds. They're not borrowing, so they're not investing to build out of this situation. So you're on a downward spiral when that's that quite remarkable. This is if people want to take a look at what the data filling up and checking out it's a bank credit to all commercial banks in the USA. And this is actually weekly data, which is a great advantage over the uh, the the uh, quarterly data I've got to rely on with the Bank of International Settlements. So uh, it's TOT BKCR, T-O-T-B-K-C-R. Take a look at the annual change in that and you'll see that uh, bank credit was running at about a 10% annual rate of growth in August of 2022, and it has since plunged to minus 1% uh, in December of 2023. So that's an 11% you know, rate of change turnaround in the level of private credit. So this is, I think, that this is the delayed effect of putting up those interest rates. You're screwing corporate vending. You're also screwing households, but it's more the corporate sector it's having with. And these will be smaller corporates. Go. The, bigger, the bigger corporates will take will will issue bonds rather than go to their banks. It's a different situation in Europe. We should talk about that as well because exactly the same thing's happening there. But it's more of a worry there in a way because uh, people bigger businesses do borrow from banks more than they do in the US. But, uh, but yeah, bigger companies issue corporate bonds. But guess what? Corporate bond issuance is also well yeah. down as well. So companies are just not growing. Big and small companies are not growing. 
yeah. or investing. And that's, you know, it, it's, it's mismanagement rather than management of the economy by the, by the ECB and the Fed and so on. Like, if, if just taking a look at French and German data on that front, uh, the, the annual change in the level of loans in Germany was running at about 7% per annum in, let's see, when was that? Looking for the dates here. Uh, that was uh, early early 2022, and now it's running at zero, minus, so slightly negative. And the, France has slowed down across the same period of time from about 5% also to zero. So you've now got you know, one of the two main sources of money creation being bank lending. That's running at zero. You've got governments trying to put austerity into practice as well in the European Union and the UK. This just spells a recession coming along, which will be caused by the central banks. Right, because companies will, I mean, will still have a shortage of supply because if we've still got if we've still got household that households have still got cash that's the surprising thing isn't it it's amazing how long this is lasting for it is coming down but it's still a lot higher than it was before the pandemic so the ability to buy is still there isn't it it's just um if if you are hurting the corporate sector their ability to meet that demand is is not going to be met so again, you're stuck with that incentive for them to say, "Well, okay, we'll just keep we'll keep pushing our margins up because we're not making as much. We can't afford to make as much. We can't afford. We 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 can't borrow. We've got to get money from somewhere to survive. So we'll we'll keep those margins higher because people are still buying from us. Well, like whether the, the margins they might keep them high, whether they'll continue increasing is another story. And again, looking at the data, and I'm tapping through to my look at my book again once here. Pardon me. Uh, boom. But yeah, at the moment, margins, the rate of change of margins is falling. It's still above the rate of inflation, but the rate of change of margins is falling. And uh, But still higher than inflation. So it's still inflation. Still higher than inflation. Wages, are well, wages have been increasing, but are below the rate of inflation. Markups are falling, but are, below, but are above the rate of inflation. So we're still, you're still saying, you know, let's look at who's made a benefit out of this. And over the, not just over the period we're looking at, like from 2018 till today, corporations and, and markups have been increased. It applies all the way from 1980 through to, through to 2023, because they look across that period of time, as we're looking at American data, the average change in the markup has been 5.1% per annum. Average inflation has been 3.3%. And the average change in the money wage has been one point eight percent. So, if is this borrowing down, this corporate borrowing, is it lower because companies are saying interest rates are too high, or are they saying? And it can be uh, the answer can be C, all of the above. Uh, you know, they're saying interest rates are too high, or are they saying, well, the the future is too uncertain, or are they saying, well, actually, you know, right now we're we're winning on margin. We actually don't need to up our capacity because if we up our, if we all up our capacity, then we'll probably have to, you know, we'll get a bit of a margin squeeze. Let's just make the most of the situation as it currently stands. I mean, it, it, I'm not going to try to, um, you know, divine the, the minds of corporations, but but I think but I think the there are, there has been a, you know, the, a huge bonus to their profitability from the markup increase through the through the pandemic. Uh, a lot of that money that's now in household accounts are now the households of wealthy households rather than poor ones because the whole circulation of money and the fact that it's got to the rich rather than the poor as, as always happens. 
And now you've got uh, such a significant increase in the rate of interest. I could normally, uh, 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 Keynes poo-pooed the importance of the interest rate in affecting investment. And when you talk to when you talk to manufacturers, they were more concerned about expectations, you know, uncertainty of the future, rather than um, uh, rather than the rate of interest. But if you've increased it by a factor of five, and this this goes back to the. the Volker? Volker, Volker, right? Yeah, Volker. V O L C K E R. Can't see you compared to any other way. I'll forget the C. Volker. We must put the C in the wrong spot. So Volker, the Volker days, interest rates went from of the order of five percent to seventeen. You put up that big a change, you bring the place to a grinding halt. So interest rates are not a fine-tuning mechanism. They're a smash in the face, okay? Uh, and, and that's what brings, brings the, the termination down. So we're seeing that in bank credit in America, and we're seeing it in the U- European Union and the UK as well. That big a change to interest rates, forget about uncertainty of the future. The present's pretty painful. We're not going to take on more debt. And then we're not taking on more debt. You got less money creation, and the economy slows down because of. Well, that. that's it, isn't it? If they're not, if if companies are not borrowing, then they're not. That we're not expanding the money supply. But then the money supply is much, 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 much bigger than it was. So does it want to come down? Well, you're talking about M1 there, which is you know, again uh, mm. that's that's fundamentally the part of the money supply the government has control of by running a deficit. And just to give people an idea of what they should be looking at here, it's quite classic. We'll talk about this in more detail in the forthcoming um, um, episode with myself and Phil. But the M1 money, money aggregate in the, in the United States went from $4 trillion in, in uh, 2020 to $16 trillion three months later. Now, that is a classic example of the government's capacity to create money, which is the whole major point of MMT. It's a free agent in that sense. It can create what it wants. Carry on going, by the way. March 2022 is up to $20.6 trillion. So you do it five times where it started from, just in the space of a couple of years. Um, yeah, that'd be a finally 20.6. So that's slowing down at that point. But the, the increase was over, uh, it was from February 2020, it's $4 trillion, to May. So February, April, it's a three months. From four trillion to sixteen trillion. Now, that isn't people suddenly finding money un- under their mattresses. Okay, uh, the, the, the only this is government creating that money because of the panic about the uh, pandemic, which was entirely justified at the time, and frankly, we didn't take it seriously enough. On the other hand, you look at the velocity. Well, we'll talk about this in more detail. Yeah, yeah. Later. So now there's a lot that stems from this, isn't there? Because I also yeah, want to talk, yeah. talk about modern monetary theory and all of this, because this is an example of modern monetary theory at work. And I want to talk about, you know, the building up of the assets of the, the Federal Reserve, which which went from $3.8 trillion to $8.6 trillion, uh, in pretty short, sharp order as well. But they had no choice, did they? I mean, they had to they they had to buy up those bonds. Otherwise, the bond market would just go crazy. Yeah, I mean, again, they've got the capacity, the limitless capacity for the Fed to mark up its assets and mark up its liabilities at the same time. And this is something even people like Nassim Taleb don't understand if we far a little Twitter war I had with him a couple of days uh, a couple of days ago. Um, so, so yeah, this we, 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 the monetary you know, dynamics of the economy matter, but there are there are two factors that can cause that dynamics: the government, which is a completely free agent, the amount of money it can create, and then the private sector with bank borrowing, and which involves two parties, and it's nowhere near as free, but it's actually the major worry. So, this is a, a good case study for MMT in that the detractors from MMT would say, well, here we are. 
here's the proof of the pudding. We created a great deal of money. We had massive inflation. I'm sure MMTers would say, well, here's the proof of the pudding. We've said all along that it's the uh, availability of resources that we should be concerned about, and we should be making most out of the resources that we've got. And there was a shortage of resources. And that was the problem, wasn't it? That's where the inflation came from, not because there was too much money, but because there was too much money and not, not enough resources to match that increase in and corporations having a free reign to put their prices up which you know the last thing ever you know workers wage demands try to negotiate that and you see the barriers you get put in your way in this libertarian economy we live in manufacturers totally different story and so let's see let's let's put this word massive inflation in context it went from uh, it was right down to pretty much zero uh during the pandemic it went up to about two two three percent then it hit about eight now it's down to about two again uh, yeah. that, that is much more transient than it was back in the in the nineteen seventies. Yeah, and absolutely. Seventeen percent, yeah, you know. Yeah. So uh, we did get we did get well over eleven percent in the UK, of course. But and and we, we but we feel it more this time because our debt is so much heavier. So yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, on your on your loan, I'm fairly certain you're paying more for your housing loan in real terms now than you were back then. Absolutely. So that's why it's hurting so much. So okay, well look. So uh, the takeout then is that probably central banks really didn't need to lift rates in the first place. By hanging on longer now, they really do risk destroying more companies because they are not able to take out the loans that are needed to grow the economy uh, and grow it by in terms of the productive capacity of those businesses, but also help lift the money supply as well. Yeah. So the, the, if, we get, if we do, and it's still an if in my opinion, but if we do get a recession, you can blame it on Federal Reserve and, and central bank policy globally, uh, not on the private financial sector this time. Yeah. Around. And if it's all about managing expectation. No, it's not. Which is <laughs> No, no, but I'm, I'm just saying, I'm putting it, you know, if they're That's thinking is, they it's think. all about, yeah. If they, yeah, yeah, then they, central banks are trying to manage expectations by saying that the, the future is bad. And if you tell people, if you tell companies that the future is bad, then they will be less inclined to borrow. So it's not just the but consumer. They're also strangling those very companies by putting rates up so much that it's making so well, we're not going to borrow, uh, and then that causes a downturn. So you know, again, it's, it's central banks staffed by neoclassical economists haven't got a bloody clue about how the money supply is determined, uh, except for the, the renegades in the Bank of England and the Bundesbank who wrote the papers about uh, private money creation. So we're getting the amateurs, the dynamic stochastic general equilibrium believers, managing their model, which has got nothing to do with the real world. All right. We'll leave it there. Uh, we A few separate podcasts stem from this one, I think. Uh, we might touch on some of it next week. But what is interesting is how when that money supply increased, the speed, the velocity of money decreased as well. So uh, I guess that's because we're all sitting at home. So we weren't and spending. So I'm interested in that. Maybe we should do one on the velocity of money, actually. We should do that sometime soon because this has been an interesting case study in that as well. Anyway, leave it there for now. Good to talk, Steve. Catch you next time. Bye. The Debunking Economics Podcast. Mom. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.